Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion on motoring news. This is episode 541 on Tuesday, the 5th of September, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. This week, we'll be finding out about unintended consequences. In new new car news, we struggle to have any reaction to a motor show's offerings. And in points of interest, we try to get over last week's FOMO. But first, we have a smidgen of follow-up, and this is all down to me. Talked about Xiaomi, the Chinese phone manufacturer that had got permission from the Chinese government to make EVs now. I mistakenly said that it was the fifth company to get that permission. It's not. It's the fourth, but it is the fourth since 2017. I needed to clarify all that. It's all clear now. Apologies for getting that. Mixed up, confused last week. Oh, okay. Apology accepted. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, new news. Super quick one. As some of you might have noticed, uh, UK fuel prices have gone up because August. Supposedly, it's due to supply issues. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you'd think they'd have plenty of time to sort out supply issues by now. Whatever someone somewhere down the line has done to me to end up with supply issues. Oh, they're constraining um, production. That's what they're doing to keep the yeah. to keep the price up towards a hundred dollars a barrel. You know, it's at eighty seven when this article was written. But yeah, it's it's the oh. usual game. We're just being played as ever. Yep. There was a seven pence per litre increase on petrol in August. That takes the average price of unleaded in the UK to 152 pence per litre. Diesel also went up by eight pence per litre um, from 146p to 154p or £1.54 as we would normally say in normal language outside of fuel prices. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean to you at the pump? It means that filling up a typical family car was £4.50 more expensive in August than it was in July. Uh, I think Andrew's covered why. So supposedly the supermarkets aren't price gouging in quite the way they were last year, so yay, there's something to be thankful for. <laughs> yeah. I think that pretty much covers that story. By the way, story linked in Autocar by Murray Scullion. Uh, well done on the new job at Digital Editor. Murray. Yeah, congratulations. I will now move us on to research that is being uh, reported in Motoring uh, Research. <laughs> Funnily enough, the Motoring <laughs> Research <laughs> website. <laughs> totally unintended. It's a spiral from here yeah, on in. Totally unintended, like the consequences of EVs that no one expected. Research by EO Charging found that 49% of the 2,000 uh, respondents who were questioned would remove their front garden and lawn to make EV charging at home easier. But this is despite 53% believing that the trend of turning front gardens into parking spaces needs to be addressed. Plus, they know that if you put more hard standing in, this makes the uh, issues of rainwater and potential flooding mm -hmm. even worse because it has got nowhere to run off to except for into roads and down drains. So it's like, oh, see, I mean, let me just wheel out the, if only people would ask, if we do this, what are all the consequences? Yes. Uh, you see, I'm a bit confused by this one because I, I think it, 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 bear in mind that this was, uh, as Andrew, Andrew said, this was research conducted by a home charging company. Mm. So your appropriate ladle full of salt would be a good idea uh, at this point as well. 
I hate this kind of surveys because, yes, the, the results are totally contradictory. Uh, do remember, if you are thinking about doing this, that you need to have the appropriate dropped curb and permission from your council before doing it. You can't just wander around slapping down some pavers. Uh, there are ways, by the way, to help deal with the runoff. Not having a solid slab of concrete is one of them. Uh, if you use pavers, uh, which can be a pain to weed between, but if they're done properly, let the water uh, go down through them. Similarly, gravel with terram or something below it mm. will again let the water pass through. So there are ways of doing it without just you know slapping a concrete slab. No, you just come and throw some tarmac down. Yeah, just uh, I've got some left over from a job, mister. Yes. Yeah. It's always the way with such research as this that what was the questions that were specifically asked Yeah, compared to how the results are presented to us and all the rest of it. And I've seen it locally myself, people removing their front gardens to enable them to park. This is nothing to do with EVs, but just enable them to park in their, in their front garden. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a, um, uh, a home charger uh, because I don't think I can manage it without there being a problem of trailing across pavements unless I do radical changes to my front garden. Yeah. So I can see, I can see yeah. why people would consider it. I mean, as you said before we pressed record, how many actually would do it is different mm. to how many say they might do it. Well, there's that, and then there's the knock-on, then there's the cost, then there's the you know, the, the, there's many more more aspects. But yes, you're quite right about the questions. It does always make me think of that uh, the yes prime minister sketch where they're talking about conscription, yeah. and there's the two different sets of questions, one of which leads to one answer, one of which leads to another. Do you want to take us to JLR, formerly known as Jaguar Land Rover, and how they are looking at the whole system to be green? Yeah, we were discussing this before the show. We think it's quite a nice illustration of, uh, you know, everybody talks about uh, EVs and all that kind of stuff, but it illustrates how manufacturers, whenever they're considering sort of green initiatives and any of these things, and the traceability of their products, that they do have to think about the whole supply chain. JLR are introducing a sustainably fueled lorry fleet. And by doing that, they are looking to reduce their road freight CO2 emissions by 84%. They're going to do that by introducing 219 trucks that run on biofuels and one that is battery electric. I presume that's the one that runs around at the depot to move things. Yeah, or that will run, that runs short trips yeah. back and forth between. You know, between even between Castle Bromwich and and wherever else, and and Solihull and stuff, uh, then that can easily, easily, easily be done. Yeah, similar to what we discussed with Tesco. Mm -hmm, totally. The biofuel ones are going to be run on a combination of bio CNG, that's compressed natural gas. Compressed natural gas. It's more like street gas that you use in the house mm -hmm. uh, and that can be used to to replace diesel as opposed to liquid petroleum gas which is propane which is or used to be more often used to replace petrol in certain vehicles biofueled ones they'll either be compressed natural gas or hydro treated vegetable oil so it'll be, be pretty much essentially what we, we generally refer to as biodiesel the biodiesel will be used in existing lorries so it's not a case of switching out a whole load of relatively newish trucks for brand new trucks and the potential wastefulness that that could bring but it's a case of also adapting uh, their existing kit uh, they're also going to switch to using 15.6 meter trailers so that is two meters longer than than they are doing at the minute 
And that should cut out three and a half thousand miles of weekly travel as well. There's a whole load of aspects to this, many, many dimensions to try to reduce emissions across the board and across the organization. And I think it's I think it's interesting that they're sharing this uh, and they're sharing some of the thought that goes into it. They're not the only people doing this kind of stuff, but it's it's great that they're they're doing it. They're partnered up with the DHL supply chain as their logistics partner. So I'm sure that most of these most of these trucks and things will belong to to DHL with probably JLR having a couple. Mm. No, I, I like I mean much as we're not happy to, but we have put the boot into JLR with some of their decision making. It's good to see that there is some intelligent thought oh, going right. in hmm. and it, they're really looking at absolutely everything in order to because it's going to save the money as much as much as it helps the environment it is going to save the money the environment is the winner and the, the, the you know it, it, it's the one that everyone's going look at our new green initiative but you you look at green initiatives and you go oh that's going to save quite a lot of money rarely do companies introduce green initiatives that are going to cost them an awful lot of money with no return yeah talking of uh, companies actually not making as much money as they'd hoped. There's been a few issues when it comes to production across the globe. Toyota, Volkswagen and Kia have all had to stop production in various areas. Toyota, the entire Japanese production system went down last week whilst they had a slight error where they were updating one of their one of the software system. The whole country came to a standstill which immediately made everybody leap up and down and go, oh, you've been hacked again. And they went, no, 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 we haven't. No, you have, you've been hacked. No, we haven't. It's, it's a bit worse. We've messed up an update. Oops. But they're now up and running again, and everything's fine. Volkswagen have had problems in Slovakia. The T-Rock has been paused because there is a component supply issue, thanks to their supplier being hit by the dreadful flooding that's happened in the region of Slovenia. They don't know when that's going to be up and running, and they reckon that's actually going to impact on other models of the uh, Volkswagen range too. Mm -hmm. Kia, though, not to be outdone, they decided that they would have a fire in the second floor of one of their South Korean plants, so that's shut at the moment. is due to open in the next day or two after everything's been sorted out there. Funnily enough, nobody wanted to build a car underneath a fire. Yes, not even in Korea. I just thought we'd bring you up to date with the trials and tribulations of running a factory. <laughs> Very true. Let's take a, a step sideways, though, into mobility as a service. And this is possibly one of the news items that will please Alan the most. Long-time listeners will know. Less so nowadays, but there, there, was, there was a time when I seemed to spend half a day every week uh, booking travel to get me from the middle of the UK to many different parts of Europe. And uh, what I said at the time when we were talking about this kind of story was what I really wanted was just an app where I could say, oh, I want to go from here to here. Get me the cheapest, the most convenient, of a, or, or a, let me balance what I want from those. And just tell me what will all join up together and what will work. Because at the time, in theory, I could have got a, a, a scooter from the street near near me, I could have ridden that to the train station. I could have got on a train. I could have taken the train to Luton Airport Parkway. I could have then got the bus from Luton Airport Parkway up to Luton Airport. I could have flown from Luton Airport to Zurich. I could have then got the train from Zurich to Bern, and then the the tram, bus, whatever I wanted. 
in Bern to get me to my hotel. But I had to book almost every single one of those steps individually. So mostly I didn't bother. And I took the car to Luton Airport. <laughs> and I booked, well, I booked the parking and I took the car to Luton Airport. I did that. And, and, you know, and then the rest of it was actually all public transport and it all slipped together quite neatly. But I knew it was theoretically possible to get to and from home and, and the airport. It seems now that the government has tweaked that this might be a good idea, especially with things like putting Heathrow Airport in the ULES. <laughs> yes. Because the air quality is bad. Mm, aeroplanes, yes. As a result, the government has released a code of practice for apps. So they do allow you to, to do the kind of thing I've been talking about, but also they're saying there should be a number of different options within it. So they should all offer wheelchair accessible routes uh, and stations, step-free alternatives, uh, main roads only options for routes, and quite a few of the sort of safety type ones as well. So mm. making sure that it's, it's you know, only limited bits and safe stuff, which is all very, that's really good actually, because that used to, that for, you know, the rest of the team I worked with in the UK, it was one of those things where the, the rule was, if you lone female traveller are going to Paris, you will book the Uber before you have entered Gare du Nord. And anyone who's been to or around Gare du Nord will understand why this was important. You won't stand in the taxi queue. You won't do that. You will book the Uber and then you will get that to the office. You will not, no matter how miserable and how much money you're trying to save the company, take the metro from Gare du Nord. And just that kind of thing. So that's why I think there's a lot of stuff. that, uh, Also, things like the ability for users to choose to share their real-time location with a contact. All these kind of things, I think, are, are really great from that point of view. So loads of, you know, obviously there's Descartes, you know, choose the most economical journey, all these kind of things. But I think it looks like a really sensible code of conduct on something which I think is should be a useful and worthwhile app. The challenge, of course, in the UK is that there are practically no apps apart from one ancient one from, not from Network Rail, from whatever, the, the one centralized rail one, which shows you all of the train times and can show you all the train times from one place to another. So this will be a massive step up on that kind of thing. But I think this is a great idea. Yeah, I mean, I think there's only Google Maps that gets remotely close to that at the moment because it shows you walking, active travel, the train, the bus the car mm -hmm. for a particular route mm -hmm. and it may even show you costs and stuff i can't remember it's been so long since apple I've... maps gets pretty close over here okay it can do similar here um where where of course there's there's public transport yes i'm now going to take us to france and there has been some confusion because they've got a new road sign this uh new road sign is what Renault thought, surprisingly close to the looking like their logo, and it was to denote uh, lanes that are to be used only by uh, car sharing or emergency services, taxis, I think it's buses as well, usually on, on the motorways. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a diamond, and it, like I say, it looks a lot like the Renault symbol, so much so that Renault got their lawyers to look long and hard because they were a little bit miffed about this, but their lawyers went, don't bother. Just it's the French yeah. government. Leave them to it. 
yeah, it's just a nice little fun, fun tidbit that it's not just in Britain where we have ridiculous mm-hmm. signs and silliness. It is actually unusually is a sign adopted from the US. So it's the it used to be called a car share lane, but now it's called a multi occupant vehicle lane or something. I don't know. I can never use them because there's normally just me anywhere that there are these lanes exist. I'm only ever on my own or I just, well, they're not convenient for me. They're the sign used over here for a, a car share lane. Um, but it bears no resemblance to a vehicle or to people in a vehicle. So it's, it's an odd one. But then US road signs are their own law unto themselves. Yeah. The French monitoring company says, oh, by the way, we can also spot if you've got children or small people in there through thermal imaging. So they're thermal imaging your vehicles as you go by to make sure you are compliant. What's in, what will be interesting is if it can tell the difference between like a dog and a person and stuff. Yes. I think that's the end of the first part. Yes, you're right. It's guilt minute. The quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, some of you do, so thank you very much. Then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everybody that does. It is very much appreciated. New new car news, Alan? And do you want to... Take us uh, to a new name. Just quickly, there's quite a lot of new new car news this week. We initially were going to do a special edition on the Munich Motor Show, and we decided not to. And then they started revealing what was in it. And they started revealing stuff, and, and frankly, uh, we're just like, hmm. uh, it was hard to get enthused enough to do that. Yes, each of us was independently hoping the yes. other one had some positivity or some enthusiasm for anything that was revealed and it turned out neither of us did and we kept, we shared our notes and went is this worth three four five hours of our time to do something that we're really uninspired by and we decided that we both actually have some level of life and that no it wasn't and we didn't want to inflict it on you the listener either well yeah oscar as if we didn't care <laughs> yes exactly we're going to buzz through some of the stuff uh, that was launched there. There's, we'll also link to a couple of summary articles that will cover everything. If there's anything interesting comes up in the next week, we'll cover it next week. Yes. We're not expecting to have to, but there we go. That'll be nice, won't it? Mm. First thing uh, that we're going to talk about is the uh, new 2024 Mini Cooper Electric. It's a Mini... It. it, it becomes as every generation does it becomes a little bit more of a pastiche of the version before still all very much based on frank stevenson's rebirth of mini at the start of the 2000s so the outside looks the same but smoother it looks all right i think in the electric it looks nicer the the front grill was always fussy and it bits of it stuck out Mm. it looks it looks much better resolved yeah i I find the the rear lights a bit weird with the, the linking hecker blend type thing that oh, they're just silly between them and the fact that they're pointy because that's taken from the union jack ones which the indicator to go right was an arrow that pointed left and, and that so that seems to have been continued so nice one german pastiche of britishness but i think the big improved the big thing here is the the interior the interior is really pretty cool mm. 
I think what people have been talking about lots in the revealed pictures and in some some spy shots that are shown in the the car article that's linked some really nice fabrics materials and textures and the central almost completely circular touchscreen as well is pretty cool yeah there are buttons as well that's really cool i think the interior is is going to be a nice place to be well, they've managed to keep the car at pretty much the same size as the previous generation, mm. although the picture, the way you see them all lined up. They do look bigger. It looks bigger, but there's there's also a little bit of far away and close up, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. and all that. You know, bring bring yeah. your own uh, Father Ted meme to that. Mm. But they've made it two centimeters wider inside whilst keeping it effectively the same size on the outside, mm-hmm. which I think is a brilliant trick. It being electric, I think, probably helped with that as opposed to the last one, which was based on an ICE version, Mm -hmm. where they'd slammed some batteries. Because on that front, isn't there better uh, range and stuff? Yes. uh, So range, supposedly, of about 190 miles, which should be absolutely stacks, frankly. (laughs) 190 miles is is actually not bad. But then quite a lot, you know, especially for a Mini, if it's, it's not really meant to be a car that is regularly driven from city to city. Yeah, but at 30 grand, you want... you Oh, you want the ability to do it. Well, that's it. That's Because that's the starter. That's the starter. At 30 grand, you would hope for 190 mile. That's pretty much a bargain these days. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, you're right. You're right. But I... For five... Well, four and a half more, though, you get 250 mile range. That's pretty good. As well. So that's, you know... Considering the average price appears to be for vehicles around that sort of range of thirty to thirty-five thousand, hmm. Mini have landed slap bang in the middle, and now it really is a fight over what is it I want from the car because that's mm-hmm. gonna, that's the same price as that Volvo uh, EX 30, 30 40, yeah. whatever it is. Thirty is. You've got the BYD stuff at that price as well you've got Mm -hmm. mg you've got you know there's kia hyundai there's lots of stuff about that price it really is down to what badge do i want and what am i trying Mm. to do with the car absolutely it's cool from those points of view they called the interior charismatic simplicity for those of you who have seen pictures of the inside of the revised tesla model 3 it's not that it's uh it, it is kind of the it's minimal um but yet there is also some sort of life form and it does look like it's been finished they've got some other bits uh there'll be a new hey mini which will be a personal assistant based off an android software stack it's shanghai they showed a british bulldog motif called spike being used in china to emphasize the britishness but it's uh and act as one of the personal assistants that is such a popular uh feature in China, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if that makes it to European and North American models. Anyway, it's really cool. I really like it. I think it's fun. If you're going to go, oh, it's not a Mini anymore, it's a Maxi, and all these other incredibly unamusing tropes that we've all sort of managed to get over, then there will be a new smaller Mini Ace Man. Yes, <laughs> yes, they've taken the P. Launched later in 2024 so you know there'll be a smaller mini than the mini there'll mm. be a mini mini okay well talking of a mini that isn't smaller uh, it's the new countryman now whilst they kept the mini cooper which replaced the one the mini cooper uh, to pretty much the same size the countryman has grown 
And now this is much more in line with a what you would expect a typical SUV to be in size for a family. Uh -huh. Is it worth mentioning that the previous Mini Countryman was the same platform as the BMW X1? That is worth saying, yes. Yes, there we are. Well said. If the X1 gets bigger, this gets bigger too. Yep, quite. Uh, but that means that there's more room on the inside as well. Uh, so for passengers, it's much better. And also the boot goes up to 480 litres, mm -hmm. uh, up to the whatever they measure to with seats up. I don't know whether it's the back of the bottom of the windows or what. Sounds like bottom of the windows measurement. Yeah, it there. does sound like that. It's also going to come in uh, in petrol as well as EV. For the petrol, it starts at 28,500 with 168 brake horsepower, but that emits between 138 to 155 grams per kilometre of CO2. Then you've got the Countryman S, which is 33,900. Then you've got the Countryman JCW All 4 at 39,900. Which, which is obviously your maximum spec'd out one. And if we go to the EV versions, the Countryman Electric starts at 41,400 for 287 miles. And then the Countryman uh, Electric SE All 4 is 46,600. I presume it's the same mileage uh, or mile range. Might be a little bit less because it's quicker to 0 to 62 and uh, has a slightly higher top speed, not that that's relevant. Could be anyone. both, depending on what it is you're doing at any moment in time, yeah. <laughs> yes. Again, the interior looks really good. It's got that same central dial that has everything in it that looks, it looks fabulous. I'd love to experience Loads it. of component sharing. Yes. Uh, because that round screen is going to be relatively expensive, way more expensive to produce than a square one. Mm. Let's use it in as many things as we possibly can, amortize that cost out, and then bring the cost down through volume. Lots of shared switches, shared steering wheel, obviously, because most manufacturers do that these days. Door switches and stuff. Loads of shared bits and pieces. Love it. Really like the exterior I design quite, as well. I quite I they've like smartened it, it up. Um, and the, the back end looks <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> But the rear end looks really good, I think. Mm -hmm. Both those uh, are linked in the show notes. Car Magazine is where we are sending you to read more about it. Cool. So that's us done interesting and charismatic. Now let's talk about the new Volkswagen Passat. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, it's Anne Carr. Yes. Um, as somebody on Twitter said, the MG5 people must be very pleased with how Volkswagen have stolen their copy their notes. But okay, what's the one positive, Alan? It's only available as an estate car. So we were very upset uh, but understand the reasons why when Volvo said no estate, here is a company that's saying you can only get an estate. Mm -hmm. However. I mean, everything else is just Gennaro, Gennaro Volkswagen. I don't even. Imagine a Volkswagen estate, folks. There we go. That's the new Passat. There's really not much more we can say about it. Uh, the launch cars seem to be in quite a pleasant but unassuming greeny gray color. I quite like that. Everything else is a Volkswagen. What, what do you think is going on, though, with their design? I mean, I, I know Volkswagen, of all in the, in the group, are the most conservative, but they've gone from conservative to just dull. I think that this is a vehicle for the German fleet market. Incredibly conservative, uh, small C in their choices, uh, a certain sort of middle market German, middle class German market. 
mid price, mid everything. To take the insignia. To take the, yeah, which was obviously brilliant. Insignia Mondeo. Yeah. It's uh, really, we'd rather you bought an Audi, but then, uh, by the way, curious lack of anything from Audi at all at this motor show. No, was there not the Q6 e-tron shown with yet another square wheel? Yeah, well, there we go. That proves my point, really, doesn't Uh, it? Of interesting note, though, um, just weeks after the new CEO said, oh, our interiors have been awful. And we've really turned our customers off. We will be putting buttons back in. And then we had a go because they said, oh, we're doing a great job with the spreadsheet to see where people touch in the car. We think when we said, what were you doing for the last 50 years beforehand? (laughs) They've installed a touchscreen that has everything and no buttons. Yes, I think it was possibly came around too late for the button option. Yes. Um, But there we go. Shall we move on from that? Because it's very tedious and slightly angering. Yes. I'm going to move us well into the Munich reveals now. And that is BMW's Neuer Klasse concept, which seemed to initially get a lot of positive reaction. I think primarily because it wasn't one of the IXs or the i7 or something like that that we've said we've been subjected to recently. Yes. So this is their vision of how they're going to move forward with a look for the brand, which is a lot cleaner, a lot less fussy, a lot less slashes, swoops, and aggressive. However, I am whelmed. It's worth mentioning, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I posted a photo of a BMW M3 in green with tan interior. And I said, I like the color. I have never had so much hate in response to a tweet ever. Really? About how much people dislike or how much mouthy rude sods on the internet dislike <laughs> the look of the current BMW M3 and M4. When really all I did was post a picture of a car and say, I like the color. And um, so, yeah, so there was a lot. I mean, it's great for the engagement stats, but not really that <laughs> pleasant. I didn't really care about your opinion. I just thought the color, it was a really nice green. This seems to have a more mixed reaction with people either loving it or hating it. My reaction is a little like Andrew. It's a bit meh. I I think it looks like the Lincoln Mark Z 3 to 5 series type car that that has been out uh, here in the US and has evolved through a couple of generations. The rear lights are almost identical. The front grille is not a million miles away from one of the vehicles that seems to have carried on the Jerry McGovern Lincoln look uh, from when he was the head of styling, head of art over here a few years ago. It's all right. It's not a bit, I just don't get the BMW-ness of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a Hoffmeister kink. Woo! The biggest thing for me in all of this is, how's that a BMW? That that's just a generic car with a few daft things like the windows. It's got actual all the glass windows. goes go lower than the than the line and all that sort of silliness. And then there's the interior side of things where they show off their new cockpit with it again. The uh, we discussed a couple of months ago a full screen, full width window screen on the to distract people is just. Uh, that's Do just you know daft, what? I think but, if it was changed at the front and it had uh, you know it had two small 
kidneys towards the middle and then uh, two round headlamps towards the outer edge. I would like it much more and I would sit here and go, gosh, I can see how that harks back to the E33 series. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, we had many of those. My dad worked for BMW Garage at the time, so they, they were his company car. If it had those, then everyone would, would be, I'd probably be straight on it. There's lots and lots of flickback things like the velour interior, which I'm not as traumatized by it as I was by MB Techs uh, in, in another vehicle of my father's. But, you know, I do remember the, 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 the way that that velour imprints itself into the back of your legs. I'm sorry if there's noise in the background. Andrew can't do anything about it in the edit. People have literally just started thumping the living socks off my balcony. I think there's some of that. Oh, look, it says there was something about the E30, which wasn't a sports car, but an elegant simplicity. It does hark back to that kind of stuff. I don't think that anything production is going to look at all like this. I think it's going to be darker with thicker pillars and all that stuff. I still prefer it to the Mercedes CLA, which just looks like it hates itself. What I like out of both of those is they're very clean lines. There is instead of all the swoops and slashes. If 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 they're going to maintain that, like you, I don't believe most of this will actually happen on a road. I think car. the swoops and slashes are done. I think their day has happened. I hope so. I think that well done. You've all shown off how many different curvatures you can print into metal. Uh, let's move on, please. I'm not looking for a Cybertruck, <laughs> uh, but I am looking. You know, uh, I, you know, we we don't need. We need something intelligent. We don't need everything sort of stamped and swooped and muscled and, and pummeled the way it has been. I think the really good thing about it, whether you like this concept and whether you like the CLA or not, uh, I think that it's starting to show a move away from that and possibly manufacturers being more confident in their design work mm. rather than, oh my goodness, we've run out of ideas. Let's put in another hole, another swoop, another lump. Should we yep. move on from the rant, please? Yep. There will be also uh, a couple of links to car and auto cars roundup of the Munich mm-hmm. Motor Show. But we're going to move now to China and the Polestones 01, which is a Defender, Toyota, Hyundai... Everything. Large 4x4. Even the name is basically stolen. I, I, I missed. Geely must I've be sharpened it about four times. Geely's lawyers will be sharpening their pencils. Land Rover's lawyers should be sharpening their pencils. Toyota's lawyers should be sharpening their pencils. This is—it's not unattractive. It is as if you fed images of those four or five vehicles into one of these AI picture bot things and said, "Tell me what you make of this." Uh, it would mm. come up with with this. Yeah, there is some impressive tech on this. I mean, it's got a 56 kilowatt mm. battery. This is a plug-in hybrid, by the way. Uh, oh, sorry, range extender. And it'll go 146 miles on electricity alone. Uh, and with the assistance of the engine, that goes up to 692 miles, apparently, according to the Chinese uh, test cycle. There's lots of, lots of driver assistance stuff. It's, that's obligatory in China, though. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, but the, the most striking thing is how close it does look to uh, all this. I mean, it, it, you've got a kitchen in there as well. Yeah. I, I mean, they have thrown the, the kitchen sink at it as well, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. It comes to the, it can have a kitchenette integrated in the tailgate, including an induction hob and a water dispenser. 
Uh, it's called the restaurant system. Loads of stuff. But definitely the whole, you know, more and in a hurry test, it fails. It looks like a Defender, especially in some of the lifestyle photos. If you go to the the Autocar article that we linked uh, and you see the one with the with the, the, the big gazebo poking out, you have to do a double take to check whether that's yeah. a Defender or not. See, seriously, it, it is so close. Yep. It's back to the bad old days of, of China copying. Okay. Yeah, do read through the show notes and click on the link to check that one out. Andrew, Alfa Romeo. Yes, Alfa Romeo have come up with the 33 Stradale that was revealed last week. This is a supercar that can be in either internal combustion engine or electric form and is £1.7 million to buy. With that name, it is clearly harking back to greatness Mm. in the past. And I come away from looking at the outside and go, it's all right. I think the problem, as we discussed before the show, I think the Mm. problem is that the original vehicle on which it is based is so incredibly stunning. Yes. And then on this, they'll be squeezing it around an existing supercar platform, possibly from Maserati, possibly, I'm saying. I'm not actually sure. It doesn't say anywhere in the Autocar article that's linked. Well, I bet they're going to make it very clear again. This is nothing to do with Ferrari. There is no Ferrari oh, engine, even if we've cut out bits of Ferrari, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Yes, yes. I don't know. It's being offered with a three-liter twin turbocharged V6, so that makes me think it might be other stuff. It, it is a good looker. Is it £1.7 million worth of good looker? Yeah. Is it as good looking as the original? Definitely not. Is it a very nice thing? Yes. They're selling just 33, and they have orders placed for 10 V6 engined and two electric ones. It says the remaining owners still to decide. It makes me believe that they already have, that they know who they are. But mm-hmm. Oakley Doke, uh, one last one. Uh, remember how back uh, a few years ago, if, if uh, manufacturers kind of wanted to kill off a brand without killing off a brand, they made it uh, an all-electric vehicle company then it was before its time and the vehicles weren't ready and so the brand kind of died to death disappeared off into the ether Uh, well seat is going to stop badging cars uh, and is going to become a mobility company uh we've said for a long long time that volkswagen hasn't really known what to do with seat hasn't really had an idea or a clue turns out uh, what it's going to do is it's going to kind of get rid of it cupra is going to be the brand well, Cooper is what they promised Seat would be. It is, but with a nastier badge. Mm. And it, it is. So Cooper is really what, yeah, as you say, it's what, it's what Seat should really have been. I, I don't, still don't really understand why they made a new brand. Yeah, not needing the new brand. But, you know, they've been let down by successive leaders of the VW group. I would say this. so. Well, they're not German, so they're not as important. Yeah. Uh, basically. I mean, Seat did have the lowest some new car ownership age of any brand phenomenally low uh for quite a long time especially when we were but i was growing up you grew up before me uh (laughs) dig that one in there you say grow up yeah exactly (laughs) i am older than you it's all relative uh so so yes it's that it's a bit of a shame but on the other hand everybody's been going "Hmm?" for a little while yeah to celebrate cupra showed a a concept car called the Cupra Dark Rebel, 
which is great because that's the next in a line of Seat-based sports cars that will just not appear ever, ever, ever. So there we go. Who cares? Yeah. That finally is the end of the new New Cups. Right. I will take us into points of interest. And we start with the lunchtime watch and read. Last weekend, Alan and I decided not to be too much on social media because many of you went off to Radwood mm. and we hated you all deeply because we weren't there as well. Mm -hmm. We've got linked a Hubnut video, which is about 25 minutes long, I think it is. Yeah, it's about 20 minutes. Yeah, 20 minutes long. Excellent. You get to get a real good feel of what the show was like, the cars that were there, and how many people that we know from Twitter were there. Curse you all. <laughs> but there's also a really good article from Haggerty, which has some wonderful pictures showing you what was going on. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Katie Bushell for her VW Sirocco winning the show and shine yeah. that uh, Charlotte Vowden, Hannah Gordon, and a friend of the show, Chris Pollitt, mm. they call him YouTuber Chris Pollitt in this article, uh, Chris Pollitt judged, and they had some uh, this commended vehicles as well in there. But also there was the Hot Wheels Legends Tour was there to find what was going to be the entry from the UK to the Hot Wheels overall. Because if you remember last year, mm -hmm. It was a UK car that won the overall thing that they made into a new Hot Wheels. Yeah, it was a Volvo P1800 Gasser dragster. Yeah. This one was judged by TV's Paul Cowland, also TV's Abigail Andre, uh, Steve Parrish, the motorcycle racer, um, podcaster Richard Porter, and Hot Wheels design manager Craig Callum. And they had some, uh, some great things to pick from. But what won it was the... Uh, MGB-East uh, that was it, it just looks amazing it, it, it's an MGB that things have been done to and it looks ace it was all done by, by its owner Michael Wallhead so it's all done by him restored from nothing by him to what it is just now I don't know the specs of it but there will be a, an in-depth look at it on Haggerty soon, so we will probably cover that as another lunchtime read uh, in itself. But it's it's a great-looking thing, mm. really cool, and yes, slightly slightly jealous of the rest of the day. Lots to keep you occupied. You can uh, over your lunchtime there with twenty minutes of video and ten minutes of reading. List of the week this week, then it is interesting four-wheel drive saloons we forgot all about. Uh, one thing I've noticed is that in North America, there are far more four-wheel drive saloons available than, than there are in Europe. Why do you think that is? It's colder, slippier winters. I drove a, a Alfa Giulia Q4, which again, not spec that we get in right-hand drive that the other week, and it, it, it was as nice as any other Alfa Giulia I've ever driven. I think a lot of it is to do with packaging, uh, basically. If you have to package uh -huh. it for left-hand drive or right-hand drive, you package it for left-hand drive. Uh, and so it's not sold in the UK. Okay. So, yeah, many here. Uh, mm. Any, Andrew, what would you choose? Like you say, there's quite a few to pick from, but for me, it will be the Jaguar XJ that I've still never driven, and you have, and please don't rub it in again. It's really nice. Sweet headlining. Yeah, 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 yeah. Purple yeah. dashboard. Okay. It was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. There are 17. You am about I, your, am I your suede fetish where you're yeah, rubbing things again? 
So about what about you? I you see I could go car I know well or I could go for something more left field. I'm going to remind people that the Mazda 6 MPS existed. Mazda Speed That was my number 2. Mazda choice. Speed 6 if you're in the US. Yeah, my best mate had had one which was quite rapid until the point when I said I'm not driving that anymore. It's too rapid. Says the man who owns a grim. <laughs> who says was too, no, it was it was ridiculously quick without you realizing how ridiculously quick it was. Until of course uh, cylinder three decided to make a bid for freedom. And that was uh, no, yeah. well it's got the engine that's now the the Ford EcoBoost two point three turbo that they keep making such a big deal about. It's what Ford won out of the split from Mazda. They won the EcoBoost mm. engine. It's it's an early version of that engine. It can be really quite tuned. It is a very comfortable, fast, nice car, which is impossible to find in good condition now. I bet. Okay, it's the and finally. And we're picking an article from last year, but this is more of a reminder that Goodwood Revival is almost upon us. And this is talking last year about how it was the 10th year of the Cetrican Cup at Goodwood. Now, that's the one where all the kids do the Le Mans start and pedal furiously down a course to see who wins. All in Austin J40s. Yes. Yes. Uh, J40 pedal cars. It's just great. I think it's, it's very, very cool. We're going to start our coverage on Saturday morning uh, with that. It starts at what time, Andrew? Because you know all these things and I don't. 11.45, mm-hmm. I think. The, the race is due to begin. So we will be there a minute or two beforehand. There is quite a lot of faffage beforehand, so I'll be surprised if it does start exactly at 11.45. Yeah, I I don't expect it to start at 11.45, mm. but just in case it does, we will be there a couple of minutes beforehand. What you need to remember when, when you join us for a watch-along as we prattle along and talk to each other whilst watching the fabulous revival is that you will need to have Goodwood's own YouTube channel open separately in a different window to us because we are not allowed due to copyright issues to have their thing in our stream at the same time. We technically have the ability to do it. We're just not allowed to. Yes. Uh, We'll include a link to that. They've already published the link for their live stream. uh, I see from my own YouTubes. So we'll have a link to that in, in the various notes and the reminders and the stuff that we'll send out and ping during the week. Yep. We'll also be there on the Sunday too. Mm Mm-hmm. So on the Saturday, we're going to go from the the uh, Setrington Cup all the way through to the Whitson Trophy. Yeah, that means about as much to you as it does to, to me, folks. So mm-hmm. That last race is due to kick off at five to six, so think beyond that. So depending how long that, I can't remember how long the race After is. After lunch, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting you up first thing in the morning, so it's fine. Evens out. But then on the Sunday, we are back for part two of the uh, Cetrington Cup, which is allegedly 11.55, so a little bit later. Alan gets a 10-minute lion. Uh, and then we will finish at the end of the St. Mary's Trophy race. Now, the uh, Goodwood coverage carries on because there's prize giving and stuff like that. But we're, we are going to stop at the end of the trophy because we will have talked a lot for two days. You will probably be sick of the sound of us and... We may not have voices. <laughs> yeah. So we hope you can join us. Uh, we'd, we'd love for you to be uh, along there and chatting with us in the chat, as it were. And I'm looking forward to it. Actually. Yeah, me too. Me too. It should be good. 
the weather's supposed to be cracking as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, same, well, same here, yes. So it'll be, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We were meant to do it uh, for, for proper good wood, but obviously the weather uh, intervened there, so we didn't. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how we get on. It should be, should be fun to try it out anyway. Yep. That, I think, have we covered all of the parish notes notes? Yes. Which yes. included all the dates and times that I'd forgotten. So maybe I should have opened those and read them as well, because Andrew was more prepared than me as usual. Anyway, between now and Saturday, and indeed between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activity. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is either on uh, Twitter or Mastodon. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know just how scary the Mazda 6 really was, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, best way to get in touch with me is on any of the established social media channels. Um, I'm including Mastodon in that for whatever reason, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-I-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, We'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.